the best minds in wrestling today, and you damn well know it by now. We know more than Google, always have, always will. New show, bigger, better, badder, brother. Twice as famous, twice as rich. 2.0, here we go. Start the damn show already. What's up, everybody? It's me, it's me, it's the J-A-T-double-B. I am once again without a co-host. Jimmy Jam Darvin is out somewhere making them scream till they cream. Unable to join me tonight. Um, You know, things out of his control. Um, He's been with Roadkill all day. So, I think he's somewhere where they don't have service, but he's a busy man. He's got all his businesses, and he's got a buddy moving out there to Colorado. He's got to get ready for that, so I'm not going to give any hints on who's moving out there, but there's going to be a lot of pomegranate martinis sold. There's going to be a lot of grinder accounts lighting up once Joel gets out there, so congratulations, but... Jamie is busy, so I'm uh, flying solo tonight, but I kind of like doing those solo intros. It's a little fun to, uh, you know, talk quiet, intimate, one-on-one. Tonight, we have a fun show. Um, I had this grand idea to do the year-end awards and bring on Andy Ball to help us out with it and I thought, hey, we can cover all the awards in about 45 minutes. Maybe do a 30, 45-minute segment with Andy. Knock it out. Well, we got on last week and talked for about two and a half hours and didn't even cover half the awards. So, um, Jamie and Andy, literally two of, uh, if not the most favorite people on the planet of mine. So, we, we got together and we were able to talk wrestling. It was a lot of fun. We just couldn't quit talking. So... It ran a little long, unfortunately, and um, what happened is, is I posted about an hour and a half of it, covered some awards. I wasn't able to post about another almost two hours, but we are, in the interest of time, going to scrape that and just cover everything tonight as quick as we can. And instead of starting from the bottom, which we thought was a great idea, We are going to start with the main event tonight. So we're going to break down the big awards. And uh, like I said, Jamie, unable to join us. It's going to be me and Andy. I have a new co-host. We'll try it out. And um, should be a lot of fun. Um, I do have some news. No wrestling news this week. Um, I have some podcast news. I envisioned this week a WrestleMania preview podcast where... I would cover everything. WrestleMania weekend has become such a big deal. And I wanted to preview the whole weekend. All the indie shows from Thursday to Saturday. The Madison Square Garden Ring of Honor New Japan show. The TakeOver. WrestleMania. I wanted to preview all of it. But it's a lot of information. So I wanted to bring a bunch of special guests. So for each segment, for each group of shows over the weekend i am going to be doing it with someone different and uh obviously jamie will join me for some of those and if he's able and um 
It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a big show. I'm very excited for it. So we're going to wrap up the awards tonight, 2018. We're wrapping it up. Next week will be your WrestleMania preview. The week after will be your WrestleMania review for the whole weekend. And then um, me and Jamie are going to bring back, uh, we have a movie in mind. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It is not a wrestler's movie. It's the greatest actor of our generation, one of his movies. And um, we have a pay-per-view that we're going to review. It's a WWF show. So um, we're going to bring those to you guys. So next month or so is planned in advance. So we're really excited. It's going to be fun. A lot of fun shows coming up. And then right around the corner, we're going to be in Vegas for Double or Nothing. Me and Jamie will both be there. So we're going to do a lot of live podcasts while we're there with uh, a lot of people. A lot of our friends are going to be in town as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, man. Next couple months are very exciting. But enough of me talking. Let's get into the 2018 Year in Awards with Andrew Scott Ball. All right, guys. So we're back with Andy Ball um, to do part two of our awards. What's up, Andy? Hey, Buck, how you doing, man? I'm glad to be back on. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. Um, Jamie is unable to join us. He's been with Roadkill all day, and he's just somewhere where he can't do the show. They're either, he... they're either building a cabin or they're on a hunting trip. So is there not power where he's at? There's obviously not power. There seems to He seems to always be in a place that doesn't have power when we're about to record. But... Um, so, yeah, he's uh, unable to join us. He A small chance he may be able to join us later, but um, doubtful. So we're just going to roll with it. Um, me and Andy know more than Jamie anyways. and um, You're yeah. going to miss out on some good takes. I, 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 I told everyone in the intro that there's a lot of audio that we're not going to play that we recorded last time, but Jamie has some good takes that you guys are going to miss out on including Braun Strowman being a superstar in Japan. Well, with the Rainmaker. Yeah, he he called the Rainmaker the, the best drop kick in wrestling. And, um, well, oh, yeah, Co- Cody was the best take. So, um, he had some fun takes, but we're going to miss it, miss out on that tonight. Um, hey, that, that drop Russia. kick's nice, though. Yeah, best drop kick in the world. Um. So, yeah, unfortunately, he's not able to join us, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Me and Andy are going to take care of business. We uh, are very well studied in all these awards, and um, unlike last time where we thought it was a good idea to start from the bottom, we're going to start with the big awards just for time on this one. So I think we should get right into it. Um Oh, actually, you know what? I want to ask you if you got any feedback on your um, appearance last week. I know you didn't want to tell a lot of people about it because you're scared of the negative reaction with, with shit that Jamie says. Yeah, I was, you know, I was kind of wanting to keep it, like, PG, maybe a little bit of PG-13, you know. So, um, feedback-wise, um, you know, I, I got some people saying that they enjoyed it for sure. Well, that's awesome. I had a lot of fun doing it. We talked, man, it, it took a long time, but 
Oh, dude, that was that was we we did like three hours and it felt like thirty minutes. Yeah, it it goes by so fast. So um, we're gonna try to get through this tonight in a timely fashion, but we also have a lot that we do want to talk about. Um, we're gonna start tonight with the big award, which is. So I do want to say in advance, we're doing the Wrestling Observer Awards, like I said last week. It's probably the most legit year-end awards out there in wrestling, I would say. And um, we're also, I know, I don't know about Andy's notes. I know a lot of my notes are based off of things like star ratings. I know before anyone says that that star ratings are one man's opinion, but um it is if 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 a match is rated high, it's rated high for a reason. So odds are a lot of people like that match. But if you don't agree with the star ratings, you know, you can ignore that part of my notes. Um can I make can I say something about the star ratings as well? Yeah. I mean my my notes are like they're they're heavily focused on star ratings. And like I said, I said previously on the past podcast, I don't know if it was I don't remember if this was part of the one that was published or not, but when I look at the, you know, when I'm looking at that four star um, level, anything above that, something that you would tell somebody to go out of your way to see. And so when I'm saying that's just, this is like a high level match that you should go out of your way to see, you know, and that five star match is like a once in a lifetime, like, you know, a, a once in a year type match that, that you just rarely see. No, I agree. That's exactly how I did my notes. So anything four stars and above is like a top level match, and then anything five stars and above is like you you really need to go out of your way to watch it. So um, if you if you hate Meltzer, don't agree with that system, just just take our word for it that these are good matches. Um, anyways, we're gonna start the Luthes Ric Flair Honorary Award, which is Wrestler of the Year. Um, this is previous winners Okada. AJ Styles, Tanahashi, Chris Jericho, Kenta Kabashi, Steve Austin, Ric Flair multiple times, which is probably why the award is named after him. Um, but this year, the wrestler of the year is Kenny Omega with overwhelming 3,594 votes. Tanahashi in second, Okada in third. No one else was even close. Um, I do want to trump you, Vaughn, and start because I do have some notes. Go ahead. Um, so Omega wins this award. He had a seven-star match with Okada, which a lot of people say is the best match of all time. At Dominion, he had two five-and-a-half-star matches during the G1 tournament against Obushi and Ishii. He had three five-star matches, one with Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom, and two of his tag matches with Obushi, one against Osprey and Tanahashi, and one against the Young Bucks. He had three four and three quarter star matches, one with Phoenix, one with Ishii, and one with Sonata, which was also a G1 match. He had four four and a half star matches, the Cruise match, the All In match, and another two more matches from the G1 against Juice and Zack Sabre Jr. And then he had three four and a quarter star matches. Um, so just to recap, he had 16 matches that were rated over four and a quarter stars. Yes, including the greatest match of all time, probably. He had five highly rated G1 tournament matches. He had three of the top tag team matches of the year. 
he headlined Wrestle Kingdom. He headlined ROH's Supercard of Honor, which is their biggest show of the year. He also technically was the biggest draw for the All In show. He had a four and a half star match on a cruise ship. <laughs> and he became an executive vice president for his own wrestling promotion, which is All Elite Wrestling. He, I did the math on this. He wrestled 57 times in 2018 which would give you 28% of his matches are highly rated of the So 16 matches, that's 28%. If you subtract 19 multi-man matches that he did, because for those of you not familiar with New Japan, they do a lot of multi-man matches to set up their bigger matches. And those aren't really top-level matches most of the time. They're those really, are house show matches. Yeah, they're kind of skippable. So if you take those away, he... Um, that puts him at 42% of his matches were top matches. If you also take away the eight tag matches that he did with Chase Owens for the G1 tournament on his off nights, that would raise it to 53%. If you take away his other seven tag matches with Ibushi, that puts him at an incredible 69% of his matches were four stars or higher. He only had seven matches that weren't ranked that high. His Jay White match at New Beginnings, his Hangman match, in May, his Cody match at the G1 special, which a lot of people hated, and then his other four G1 matches, which were against Naito, Goto, Tomatonga, and Yano. So he uh, captured the IWGP title in June, held it until the end of the year, well, really the next Wrestle Kingdom. He was a big part of the U.S. expansion in New Japan, and even though he's not going to be on the – Ring of Honor Madison Square Garden show. He's probably a big part of that selling out. That's what I have, Ball. What do you think? You, I mean, you pretty much summed up everything like that. Um, that I had a couple things I would like to add to that is the I also believe that um, the Madison Square Garden show was he was probably the, the largest factor for that selling out so fast. I also think with all in. Him being announced in the card was a huge thing to get people to travel as well. I think he was a big factor in that. I was looking at, you know, some of these some of these things with the Ring of Honor match, they drew sixty five hundred people, is that right? And um Yeah, which at the time was the biggest show in Ring of Honor history. By almost double, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, they did they did six thousand at the Cow Palace. You know, these these numbers have not been done by anybody but WWE in decades. They, um, I even looked at there was a there was a match that was rated four and a half stars that he had against Phoenix at something called Northeastern Wrestling that um, drew three thousand people that I had no idea about. Yeah, it's pretty insane. I I was talking to you a couple of days ago about this. You really, or I really didn't realize how great Omega is until I started doing this research, but we're looking at probably the best year any wrestlers ever had, including Ric Flair, including anyone. Yes. He, um, like I said, 69% four-star matches are better. If you're watching a one-on-one Kenny Omega match, it's going to be one of the best matches you've ever seen. He, um, has won wrestler of the year back to back. He he won match of the year. Well, I mean, we'll get to that. He was on the best show of the year. He worked for the best promotion of the year. And all of this was because of him. Yes. Dave Meltzer said he's been covering wrestling for 48 years. And that Okada Omega match, which we'll talk about later, but is by far the greatest match he's ever seen. 
and you actually rewatched it. We can talk about that later when we get into match of the year, but I mean, it's just amazing what he's able to do and you really don't appreciate it while you're living in it. But I think we're watching, you know, maybe one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Can I add something else to that as well? Yeah. So you look at, so when I go back and you look, if you look at these previous award winners, like, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, um, Meltzer's rates more favorably towards New Japan and that he, um, you know, he's not a fan of WWE, but, you know, AJ Styles won Wrestler of the Year, the Luthez Award, and his, you know, this was voted in by his um, subscribers. What what was it? 2017 and in 2016. No, yeah, no, 2015 and 2016. So that was, so AJ Styles was the Wrestler of the Year in 2015. That was his New Japan run that, and then, and then 2016, he was Wrestler of the Year. So AJ Styles in 2017, I'm um, 2018, he wrestled 147 matches. And AJ Styles had eight four-star matches um, um, and no five-star matches. So he was at – that's about 5% of his matches were going on on that, um, on that high level. Yeah, and, it's – oh, um, go ahead. And I would also like to put – you know, Johnny Gargano had a really strong year – and Gargano, like Meltzer said, there's there's the people. I think um, Gargano came in seventh, and so he said this year, um, with this Kenny Omega year, he said one through seven. So no, really two through seven. Any of those guys, any other year, would have been wrestler of the year. So you had seven people, six seven people that were having having like one of the best years ever, like that would have earned wrestler of the year. But Omega just blew everybody out of the water this year. So Gargano, when I was looking at Gargano, they wrestled – Gargano wrestled 65 matches that I found. And that's very comparable to what Omega wrestled. And Gargano had five four-star matches and two um, five-star matches. So that puts him about 11% of his matches were on that four-star and better. You know, and that was – and that's like – and that is – and he would normally be considered for wrestler of the year. And yeah, would, it's uh, it's crazy that you look at a lot of these guys, AJ Styles, Gargano, Osprey, who a lot of people think are like one of the best wrestlers in the world right now, Abushi, the year that Ronda Rousey had, all, like all these people, Okada got third at two thousand one hundred nineteen points, La Park. La Parca, L.A. Park, he got fourth with 549. It's crazy. So, so that's the discrepancy. Omega, Tanahashi, Okada, and then everyone else is so far. Like, basically what this is telling people is that Omega, Okada, and Tanahashi are on another level. Yes. And um, before we wrap this up, um, speaking of Tanahashi and maybe even Okada, um, Tanahashi had a phenomenal year. And in a lot of ways, would have won Wrestler of the Year. But if it wasn't for a guy like Omega, um, I think Tanahashi, for those of you not familiar with him, he's basically the John Cena of Japan. And he had a phenomenal year, a great year for storytelling. The story that they told from him was amazing, but it's just overshadowed by how great Omega is. He's, he's on cards with Omega, Okada, Naito, all these guys putting up four to five star matches and has to compete with that every night. 
it's I mean it's 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 just crazy, you know. Um, where you know, in in Japan, Okada and Tanahashi are are bigger draws than Omega. Omega's a big draw there. He's the biggest gaijin, the biggest like foreigner draw ever there and he's really the only, the only one that's been over like a, like a main eventer that's been a baby face normally they're they're a heel but um you know so so i'll typically you know i feel like in japan tanahashi and okada are more valuable to new japan in japan but when you look at omega's work rate which was the greatest like he, he was he, like when we, i mean he's definitely gonna be the most outstanding wrestler when we get to that when we're just looking at match quality, I mean, it blew everybody out of the water. And then you look at how how critical he was to the U.S. expansion for for New Japan, and you look at at what some people are calling a failure right now for once he's left in America with that expansion. Yeah, and what what's going to be a big hit to New Japan and that United States expansion with him leaving. Um, which also brings up the point of with him joining All Elite Wrestling and then probably only wrestling a couple matches this year. I mean, he's not going to wrestle until May. And then after May, who knows when his next match will be. Um, That opens the door for anyone to win uh, Wrestler of the Year next year. Um, Tanahashi is getting up there in age. Okada, you know, someone who could be the next, you know, he's probably primed for a big year. Um, Gargano may go to the main roster. That's going to hurt him. Osprey is a heavyweight now. He's going to have a big year. What is your prediction for wrestlers of the year 2019? I would say the money would be on Okada, um, you know, because of where he's at and how much he's going to wrestle and how 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 important he is to New Japan. But with Osprey also moving up the heavyweight, and they're using him as a focal point for the U.S. expansion, um, I would see him having a chance. Um, another one, really, when we go and we go and is Kota Ibushi because he was a freelancer until this year. They he he was not assigned he was not assigned wrestler for New Japan until just now. So they were never going to rely on him to carry their to carry business because he, he wouldn't he would not sign a contract with them. <coughs> um, other people, as of right now, the front runner is Kento Miyahara for the first quarter of the year. But not the but the big things in wrestling with WrestleMania, Survivor, um, um, SummerSlam, and G One, they have not happened yet. So that rolls us right into um, most outstanding wrestler. A lot of people, including us, when we first looked at this, were curious what the difference between wrestler of the year and most outstanding wrestler is. And the consensus that me and you and Jamie came to was that wrestler of the year was for overall wrestler, whereas most outstanding wrestler was more of an in-ring performance, your match quality. That's how we um, interpreted it. So that's how we're talking about it, I guess. But um, for most outstanding wrestler... It was also won by Kenny Omega. He won with, he won by almost 2,500 votes. My goodness. Um, Abushi got second, but no one was even close. Um, what is interesting, well, I guess I'll let you start on this one. Uh, Kenny Omega, most outstanding wrestler, what are your thoughts? I mean, we have said everything. I, I mean, it's the best year ever. And the, um, 
the margin of his victory between him and Kota Abushi is even bigger than his um, Luthez, um, even bigger than this Luthez award. Yeah, it's it's um, it's crazy. He's far and away like this is probably the best year any wrestler's ever had. I mean, he far and away deserves both these awards. If you've ever watched a Kenny Omega match, I mean, he is his in ring quality is crazy. Um, his storytelling ability, his athleticism, he's on another level. What is interesting about this list to me, I mean, we talked about Omega, but um, six, the top six vote getters were all from New Japan. If you include Zack Sabre Jr., seven of the top ten are from New Japan. That leaves Gargano, who had um, five matches at four and a half stars or better, including three of his uh, Chompa matches. Walter, who had one match in that category, and Miyahara, who you talked about. Um, just outside of the top ten are you WWE guys, Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, and AJ Styles, and uh, Becky Lynch, who's nowhere near this list, had two four-and-a-half-star matches or better, which is crazy. So uh, what are your thoughts on the overall list and the dominance by New Japan performers? Well, okay, so I actually I have a an overall list, and I have a I have a WWE list as well, just so we can because you know this is so New Japan heavy. Um, the New Japan thing is it's this is how they make their money. It's it's by these it's it's these 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 top level matches. That right for the real quick, not to cut you off, but for those of you who don't aren't familiar with New Japan. Um, they don't have a weekly television show. So they're running these shows and they're, they, they tour, they do tours and they, they run a big show. Uh, what'd you say? Once a month or once every couple of months at least, but they don't have a weekly show where they're on TV all the time telling stories. They rely heavy on their match quality, but go ahead. Yeah. They, you know, they, they, you know, a lot of times they'll once a month or once, you know, once every other month they'll run shows and sometimes the shows that are like be not one, not two, not three that, you know, um, so normally like a lot of times there's a not one and not two. So they'll run two shows. They could be over different weekends and then they have a road to like road to um, wrestle kingdom where it's kind of like house shows and it's just building to it that they, that they tour smaller places. You know, another thing is like, you know, with Japan, it's mainly Tokyo focused, you know, the, the transportation there is much different than here in America. It's a lot harder to get around the country. So most of it's centered in Tokyo and they can go out to some smaller places as well. And, and the, you know, the, the um, as far as the buildings go there, you know, most of the buildings in Tokyo that are used are from like the sixties and fifties and seventies. There's not this state of the art um, arenas that we have in America there. Um, as far as the, you know, the awards go, you know, I really thought before I looked up any of this, I really thought there was a couple of wrestlers I had in mind that, um, there's a couple of wrestlers that I had in mind that might would actually compete with Kenny Omega. But as I did my research, there's no, there's no, there's no real competition, but there were some people who had some fantastic years and Kota Abushi is one person that had, and he's number two for sure. He only wrestled 69 matches, and what I got, I got that he actually had 20 four-star matches and five five-star matches. That would put him at 36% of his matches were four-star or better. And I had Okada, number three, 
Okada wrestled 141 matches, and he put, he had 15 four-star matches and five five-star matches as well. I had them one, two, three, and for a tie for fourth, I had Walter or Walter and Will Ospreay. They had they were all over the world, and they just put on top-level matches everywhere. Now, let me ask you this, because I also agree that Walter um, is a great – his matches are phenomenal to watch, and he travels all over. He's had big matches all over. He's worked for many companies this year or in 2018. But when looking at the list of star-rated matches, he only had one four-star or better match, and it was a tag match, him and Timothy Thatcher against someone in, at PWG. Where did uh, – I got – no, I got that he had eight four-star matches this year. Oh, I don't know where you got your list from, but that's not what I got. So we need, I mean, that, that's what we need to take a look. Now, Walter, Walter and is, so when you look at Walter and you look at um, some of these guys from Mexico, um, there's not as, you know, there's, they're not covered. as So when he's in WXW, not everybody is watching WXW or, like, you know, LA Park, they're saying had this great year, but there's nothing that we can look at to see and we're not seeing everything that they've done but the stuff i saw because the stuff i saw with walter was incredible no i agree i love walter um i'm just saying as far as the rating the the melter ratings from the list that i found which was um, hold on i used the what hello Yes. Yeah, sorry, I lost you for a minute. But yeah, so um, I think I use ProFight Database, which which collects all the star ratings and puts them on a list. Um, I I used um, I used Cage Match, and I counted eight four star matches that were Meltzer rated. Okay, well maybe who knows the discrepancy. Either way, um, yeah, Walter is phenomenal. Um, so I did want to mention about Gargano. He is somebody who, you know, all the New Japan match quality this year, there's so many great matches in 2018, but, um, Gargano almost kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but he had five, four and a half star matches or better. His match quality was on another level this year as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, Absolutely. He's definitely the wrestler of the year in WWE for sure. Oh, yeah, by far. Um, which, you know, I hate to see him go to the main roster because it's going to be really hard for him to repeat that. Yes, he won't have, the, he won't have that opportunity. The, the casual fan base isn't going to care about Johnny Gargano. And Vince is yeah. not going to care about Johnny Gargano. Yeah, it really – it's a bummer for him, but um... – uh, that's the that's what they do there, you know. You, you're in NXT and you move up, so it is what it is. I mean, we've seen this. I mean, since I've been watching wrestling for the past five or six years, this is what happens almost every single time. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to add before we move on? Yeah. As far as the um, the um, I'll talk about. I, I, I listed out some of the WWE guys that had great years, and Johnny Gargano was my number one. And when I went through and looked, um, Buddy Murphy, I think, was the second best um, wrestler as far as match quality goes in WWE this year. And I didn't, I heard 
over and over, Buddy Murphy is killing it. But he had um, – when I looked on cage match, I counted nine four-star matches in, um, in, on 205 Live that nobody saw. Which is crazy. I, I mean, I agree. I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast we posted or the, the mystery podcast now or the hidden podcast, but um, Buddy Murphy is a guy who – no one watches 205 Live, but um, every review of every WWE pay-per-view, you hear about how the Buddy Murphy match was maybe the, mes- the best match on the show. And nobody watches it. <laughs> yeah, because it's usually on the pre-show. And it just sucks, man, for these guys. And, you know, that's probably a place that Gargano is headed is 205 Live, which, you know, him and Buddy Murphy are going to have killer matches, but... Man, these guys are performing so well, and no one's watching it. It's crazy. Yes, I mean that's. I mean, he. I couldn't believe how good of a year he. I, I just before we got on this podcast, I was like, let me look him up and see what he did this year. And I was, I was, I was blown away with, with how great of a year he actually had in the ring. But it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in WWE, really. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Um, Next tag team of the year, um, obviously former winners, Midnight Express, um, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian on here, Miz and John Morrison are somehow on here, Briscoe Brothers, obviously, a bunch of Japanese teams, the Steiner Brothers, the Rockers, but this year for the record fifth year in a row, the Young Bucks have won by 2,000 votes. Um, second place, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi, who some don't even consider a real tag team, but we can get into that. Um, I will say, for those of you who know me personally, I'm one of the biggest Young Bucks marks out there, but I'll try to control myself while talking about this and being as impartial as possible. But um, they won fifth year in a row. The only team that came close, Midnight Express, had a three-year run from 1986 to 1988 that they won. But um, the Young Bucks had a five-star match against the Golden Lovers at Strongside Evolved. They had a four- and three-quarter star match against the Briscoes at Best in the World. They had six different four-and-a-half-star matches, including their Ladder Wars match with SCU and the Briscoes, their all-in match, the cruise ship match, um, a PWG match against the Rascals and Matt Riddle and Jeff Cobb. Their supercard match where they teamed up with Flip against SCU. And then their Dominion match against Evil and Sonata. Um, so they had some really great matches this year. But what they're most known for, I think, is not their in-ring work, but what they do outside the ring. Of course, they have the, the biggest uh, pro wrestling tea store out there. They have the Being the Elite YouTube show, which has just grown so much in 2018. It's a show that they make themselves and they are able to really make stars out of a television show that they put on YouTube. I mean, you look at guys like Flip Gordon or Hangman Page who became a star because of this YouTube show. Um, I mean, SCU. You, you can count, SCU you can has put, reemerged. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. You could put Skrull and Cody as becoming much bigger stars because of Young Bucks as well. Yeah. And SCU who have been around for a long time, but they have reemerged as big stars because of this show. And of course, being the elite led to doing all in their own show that Cody and the Young Bucks put on themselves, 
which was hugely popular. And then that, of course, led to all the wrestling. And so there you go, Young Bucks Tag Team of the Year. What do you have to say? I didn't get into this earlier, but I actually put Young Bucks as number four on my Lou Thez list for the Luce Thez Award because of things you just said, because they had a great year in the ring. Um, they and, and also just how big of a draw power they were and how important they were for wrestling in general, especially for wrestling not in WWE. I mean, if it wasn't for the Young Bucks, I don't know where – I don't think wrestling would be as hot as it is in the U.S. right now. Oh, I agree totally. And I'm – like I said, I'm like one of the biggest Young Bucks fans in the world, but I have never really looked at the Young Bucks as like their matches are must-see. I'm, I'm, I just really appreciate what they do for wrestling, but um, with all the outside stuff. But when I looked and did my research, it's crazy how many good matches they had this year. And uh, especially that Dominion match with Evil and Sonata, I remember it. That was one of their, if not their first match at heavyweight. It was when they won the titles. And right. It, it might, and I think it was their first match at heavyweight. Yeah, their match with Abushi and Omega, which was – you know, one of the best tag team matches of the year, if not the best. Um, they, the Ladder Wars was phenomenal. Um, they just really, I don't, I don't know how to explain. I mean, they're, they're not must-see wrestlers, but they do so much to promote themselves. It's never been seen in, in the history of wrestling, I don't think. No, I, what's also incredible is some of their some of their criticisms, like they can't sell. Um, Matt Jackson, after that criticism, he sold a back injury at Wrestle Kingdom and has sold it in his matches for over a year. Probably the greatest sell job ever in the history of wrestling. And people, and you know, they were known for being spot monkeys, which is just where you just flip around and your matches are meaning, meaningless. But after that criticism, they intentionally started working like old school mid south wrestling style. Yeah, they're very good at um, proving people wrong, if that makes sense. Uh, whatever criticism people have about them, they like to to prove those people wrong, and they're just uh, driven guys, man. Um, I do want to mention. Um, Young Bucks, obviously, in my mind, tag team of the year. But I do, I don't want to knock um, the rest of the list aside. I do want to mention Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong. I think had one of the best years for a tag team, especially in a in a business that tag team wrestling isn't as big now. Kyle O'Reilly was partners with Bobby Fish. Bobby Fish gets injured. You would think that's going to really hurt somebody like Kyle O'Reilly, but he's able to tag with Roderick Strong. And have two four and a half star matches, one against Mustache Mountain at Takeover Brooklyn, and one against um, Lorkin and Birch in Chicago. And then they were also involved in the War Games match, which got four and a quarter stars. They were one of my favorite tag teams to watch. I, I mentioned on when we recorded last week. I think the Undisputed Era is the new Horsemen. I think all four of those guys are phenomenal. Some of my favorite wrestlers in the business today, and I thought they had a tremendous year as a tag team. Absolutely. You know, this, these are the guys when, you know, when I first started getting back into wrestling, this was ROH, you know, Undisputed Era. These were the guys that were the, the face of ROH, and ROH is so incredible at that time. Um, who do you put – all right, 
So undisputed era on this list, they were number three, and they had the Golden Lovers at number two. I was for sure going to put undisputed era. They had, um, you know, they had the one five star match, and they had seven four star matches. About nine percent of their matches were um, at a four star level or better. Um, you know, they wrestled about ninety four times last year. Um, I mean, just I mean, they're just so fun to watch. Um, I enjoyed every single one. They're they're probably my favorite match on most takeovers. Um, you know, but then I look at the Golden Lovers, and I I didn't seriously consider them until they wrestled. They only wrestled ten times. Four of those matches were four out of the ten matches were four star or better, and then there were three five star matches. So like seventy percent of their matches, even though there were only ten, were at like an elite level. Yeah, I I would put Undisputed Era second, but it's hard to argue. Like, I get the criticism about them not being a real tag team, and they only tagged really briefly yeah, throughout the year. But they had three of the best tag team matches of the year. Yeah. So it's hard to not put Golden Lovers up there, but I, I'd put Undisputed Era two. I'd put Golden Lovers three. Me personally, i put Tyler Bate and Trent Seven four. And then Pentagon and Phoenix five. I think Pentagon and Phoenix are just now coming into their own. Pentagon and Phoenix probably the favorite to win tag team of the year next year, but um, that's how I would rate it I, personally. I rated it the exact same, the exact same order as you did with Young Bucks one, Undisputed Era two, Golden Lovers three, Mustache Mountain four, and Lucha Brothers five. The thing is with Lucha Brothers, we see some of their stuff, but the stuff going on in Mexico, we don't know how good it was, and we don't know what they've done. It's hard to really see how they could have had the best tag team year ever, and we wouldn't know it. Yeah, and they also, I feel like, you know, are just now kind of getting into their prime. I think Pentagon had a good singles year in 2018, but... Well, Phoenix did too. Yeah, and so I think the Lucha Bros are just kind of now getting into their prime as one of the great tag teams, and... um I did also want to mention, um, honorable mention, in my opinion, that I'd like to talk about. Not a lot of people watch Impact or get to watch Impact, but I think LAX is phenomenal. And they had some really, really good matches this year. Usos, for being in WWE, are one of the best tag teams in the world. And uh, one of my personal favorites, the Briscoe Brothers, who, after all these years, are still putting on killer matches. Yeah, I mean, same thing. I, I I wanted to, you know, just mention the Usos and Briscoes as well. Um, I have not seen LAX much, but I would like to see them. Um, Minora Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. is also a good tag team. Um, I think they're featured reg- more regularly in RPW. Yeah, yeah, they are. And um, LAX, if you get a chance to watch, I, I feel like they're phenomenal. And LAX will be facing the Rock and Roll Express at Joey Janela's Spring Break, which is insanely entertaining, in my opinion. That's got Blake Wilson written all over it. Yeah, Blake Wilson hates Joey Janela's Spring Break for some reason. I don't get it, but I don't know. I guess he only watches um, luchador matches in high school gyms. <laughs> it was act- It's actually in a Spanish nightclub. <laughs> oh, my apologies, Blake. Next, we have match of the year. Um, if you're if you watch many companies or if you watch multiple companies, 2018 was a insane year for wrestling matches, for good wrestling matches. 
and um, it's really so many matches couldn't even make the top 10 because of how great these 10 matches were. But the winner by really 3,000 3, votes, um, <laughs> Kenny Omega versus Okada from Dominion, June 9th. Um, like I said, Meltzer said it's the best match he's ever seen. A lot of people say it's the best match they've ever seen. Two out of three falls. They went 69 minutes, I believe. Um, I have a lot of stuff on this, but well, I'll let you start. Oh, man, this is – we could talk all day about this match. I, mean, I know you recently rewatched it, right? Yes, I rewatched it, and I actually – I started watching it last night, and I finished it off this morning, and I was – just watching it again, I'm like – I was like, this is, this is, this is just incredible. There's just such a fantastic match. I mean, the story was perfectly executed. There was nothing, no botches, no miscues, perfectly executed. The psychology between these two wrestlers is just, it's, it's just insane how in tune they are with each other. The body language of both of them is just, I mean, I mean, you think that with all this combined, all these things, you, you feel like it's a real fight, and you forget it's pro wrestling. This seems like they're in like a war. They're really trying to kill each other. It so like Meltzer. What I, I think you, I, I believe you think it's the best match ever. I think Meltzer does. A lot of people believe it's the best match ever. I don't know if it's the best match ever, but it's one of the three best matches ever. And to me, the three best matches ever are Okada and Omega. Rest the Wrestle Kingdom match, the um, the Dominion match. And then the um, what? Where was the top? Where was the sixty-minute draw at? Was that another, was that Dominion too? A, a year before? Yeah, I think that was Dominion the year before. Okay, so the, to me, those are the three <laughs> best matches ever. Now, this is definitely for sure the best two out of three falls match ever. I mean, you know, the, the normally I'm not a big fan of two out of three falls matches. When they announced it's going to be a two out of three falls match, I was like, how are they going to be able to deliver with this? Because I've just never, I've just never loved any two out of three gimmick top match. I just like a regular one on one match with no stipulation. Um, and this, and they just, they just, I mean, it was three. It was like it was three great matches in one. It wasn't one quick roll up. I mean, it was literally like thirty minute matches or twenty minute matches, separate matches. Um, the um, the first fall when um, I mean it um, it worked when. Kenny, what Okada tried to hit, hit him with the rainmaker. I'm talking about the clothesline rainmaker, and Kenny reverses that rainmaker, and he tries to flip and roll Okada up, and Okada just sits down on him, and then that's the first pinfall. And it's just like he, like Okada was smarter than him. And then they go to the second one, and Kenny finally gets him in a one wing lane, um, one wing, um, the one wing angel, and. Um, just before that, though, there's just all these tons of false finishes where you thought the match was going to end, and the closing stretch was just fantastic. And he finally gets him with that one wing angel, and then so that second, so it's now it's one one. But Okada took that that one winged angel, and he was just dead on the floor, and he couldn't recover. And and Gato was sitting there trying to get him up, trying to get him recovered, but he was all dazed. He acted like he was concussed, and he was and he was kind of just on his knees, and. All of a sudden, the bell rang, and, and Omega just goes in for the kill and just comes in and does that V, that vicious V trigger to the back of the head. And then he picks him up for the one-winged angel, and you think it's over right then, and you're just so excited. And then somehow Okada, Okada 
reverses that one-winged angel into a rainmaker, and they just laid there forever just on the floor, both of them motionless. And then the, the match was – ended up finishing off with just – with Omega just killing him with these V-triggers back and forth, just the nastiest ones I've ever seen. Then he gets, sets him up and puts him in the one-winged angel, and, um, and one, two, three, it's over. I mean, just a fantastic match. Oh, yeah, yeah. and he used and in that match too that that what that third fall, um, Omega they build to a Styles Clash, um, which the Styles Clash in Japan is huge. Is they 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 thought it was very dangerous and that broke people's necks and nobody ever kicked out of it. And he used the the Abushi um, was kind of was at ringside with Omega and he told him to to do the Phoenix Splash and so he attempted the Phoenix Splash as well, which is Abushi's um, finisher. Yeah, it's um I remember watching this and thinking that this is another like this is another level of pro wrestling. Like other people can't do this. Omega and Okada are just so much better than everybody else. And um it might be the best match of all time, I don't know. But um I did want to real quick mention some stuff. Well, so this is only the third time in history that, as far as I can tell, that two people have won back-to-back match of the year with the same opponents. Um, the other time was Kobashi and Masawa. They won in 03 and uh, – wait, 98 and 99. And then uh, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker in 2010 uh, – 2009 and 2010 for their great WrestleMania matches – um, but Okada Omega, I do want to, um, I found this from the Wrestling Observer the week after that match, and it kind of puts in perspective, this is a piece that Dave Meltzer wrote, and it puts in perspective the story behind this match and how well they executed it in the match, but, um, he said that, like I mentioned, he's been watching wrestling for 48 years, um, he, he um, this might be the two greatest individual performances he's ever seen in the same match. Um, on January 4th, 2017, Okada Omega had a match that he thought at the time was one of the best three matches he had ever seen, perhaps the best ever. And then um, and on June 11th, 2017, they met again and went to a draw, so it was at Dominion. And um, at that time, he thought that that match was even better so that might be the best match he's ever seen. And then in August 2017, they wrestled again, which uh, they they is less than 30 minutes. It's a completely different kind of match, but he's still considered a classic. Um, that was in G1. Right. And then, um, so basically since, since Omega won the G1 in 2017, they have been building to Omega winning the IWGP title and trying to defeat Okada. And finally, Omega would do that during this match. The initial reaction that a two-year-long storyline had played out perfectly. Suddenly in that moment, it's clear the decision not to put the title on the Ito was the right decision. Um, held before 11,000 people at Osaka Joe Hall, this was a different level, and um, 69 minutes and 49 seconds, 
in the opinion of a lot of people, might have been the greatest wrestling, pro wrestling match they've ever watched. Whether it's a drama in the match, it's inconceivable to me that there has ever been another match close to this level in modern times. A two-year chase from Omega from Omega's interview after beating Goto to win the 2016 G1 tournament through his Tokyo Dome loss, his Tokyo Dome draw, his G1 win, and another loss the next day. The emotion of o- Omega finally winning that belt is something um, that they couldn't have copied. Um, Omega made it even better with his backstage interview. Um, the Wrestling Observer received the second most number of responses for any show in history from Dominion. And he read, Meltzer read every response, and the vast majority was all the same. I've been watching wrestling, insert any number from 20 to one guy said 62 years. Jeez. And this is the best match I've ever seen. That was said by multiple people. Um, I mean, it's hard to argue. When it ended, Meltzer's thoughts was that was the greatest match I've ever seen. Not arguably, and not by a little, but for sure the best match he's ever seen. Is that a level far beyond when it came to emotion, storytelling, and attention to detail? It's almost astonishing watching it. Will Osprey might be the best wrestler night after night in the game today, but nobody can do what Omega and Okada did that night. It's also... Uh, fair to mention that they followed three also of the greatest matches of the year on the same card and will still be able to put on a performance like that. Jericho and Nato was right before that. Yeah, which was like four and a half stars. A lot of people love that match. Um, Osprey, uh, Hiromu your- was on that. Um, oh, wow. Young Bucks, Young Bucks, when that title was on that too against the Nod and Eagle. Right. Yeah, Ray Mysterio was on that card. I mean, it's just I, – I, I can't wait to go back and watch it. I haven't been able to yet, but reading about this and doing the research, it's um, it's phenomenal. And to keep people's attention and to tell a story for 69 minutes is another level as well. I mean, the, when you talk about these guys, they have gone – 60, 69, and then that Wrestle Kingdom match went probably 48, maybe 50-something minutes. No other two wrestlers in the world can go over 30 minutes and keep people, keep people's attention to, like that. There's, there's no, there, like what you said earlier, there's nobody on the level of Okado and Omega. Nobody. Yeah, it's another level. Um, as far as the, the rest of the list, Omega – had five of the top ten matches with five different opponents, which is mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but um, is there any other matches you wanted to mention or talk about? Yeah, when I saw um, Gargano and Almas, when I, that, that was in Philly. When, when was the Philly? What was that? Um, was it, was that in, was it was that? in January as a Royal Rumble. Okay, when I saw over. that match, I thought it was perfect, and I thought that that would be the match of the year. I didn't think anything could top that match. I thought it was. I thought that was as good of a match as you could have. And then, then Okada Omega happened, and it's, it's you know. F- but from that point on, when I watched it, I was like, "That's the match of the year." So I saw it. it was a great match. Gargano is fantastic, and Almas is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Gargano Almas, I remember watching and thinking. 
holy shit, this is the best WWE match I've seen in probably 10 years. And um, it was perfectly done. But six months later, I mean, Okada and Omega would change the game. It's it's phenomenal. We talked about Omega having the best year ever. He had five of the top ten matches with five different opponents. Opponent. One of them being a tag team match, the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks. The um, Obviously, the Okada match, he had a match with Ishii that's on here. He had a match with Abushi that's on here, and then his Chris Jericho match from Wrestle Kingdom is also on here. Yeah, the um, I really like the Abushi match. Um, if I was in the G1 semis, <coughs> and and that and Abushi beat him, and then went on to face Tanahashi, and which and, and right after that in the G1 finals, which on this list was number two, and Gargano Almas was number three. I actually had Gargano Almas number two. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, what did you have for number three? Um, number three, I had um, the Tanahashi Ibushi match. Okay, I love that match. I, I thought it was fantastic, and yeah. I had that. I had that number three, but what I ended up going to was the was actually the um, was that road to Wrestle Kingdom where it was um, Omega and Ibushi versus um, Osprey and Tanahashi. I think that was the best tag match ever and i put that number three and that was just a regular road two match that was supposed to just be like a house show type thing and 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 in that match tanahashi he did not i mean tanahashi in a tag match you've ever watched a tag match with tanahashi he doesn't work hard in tag matches so osprey was doing all the work against omega and abushi and and tanahashi just did his highlight reel and it was but i mean just it was fantastic yeah, that match was phenomenal as well, and um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the list of phenomenal matches in 2018 was just insane. I don't think we've ever seen a year like that. Where'd you put Jericho and Omega? I mean, I thought, honestly, Jericho and Omega was, was good, but uh, there's a lot of matches I liked a lot better. Yeah. I don't want to say it wasn't good, but like all of Omega's other matches I thought were better, like on this list. Yeah. And then um, I like the Gargano matches better than that. Um, I like the, um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of matches I like better than that one, but it, it, it was good. I, you know, a match that got an honorable mention but wasn't in the top 10 that I loved and thought was one of the best matches of the year was the, um, the ladder match for the North American Championship. Yeah, that, that was that the was, Adam Cole one. That was that was that was that just Ricochet versus Adam Cole? No, it was a six way. So it was Adam Cole, Ricochet, uh, Lars Sullivan, okay, EC three and Velveteen Dream. That that um Kento Miyahara versus Zeus match was great too down there. Yeah, I've watched that one. Yeah, that was good. Um, um it, it was just an insane year for matches. Now, I do think all the matches on these lists, I do think this was – I think this is – these 10 matches are probably the 10 best matches of the year. Maybe some of those honorable mentions. Well, I'll pick that, that tag matches in the honorable mentions, my number three. But a couple of matches I really liked that didn't make this list, and they weren't match of the years, but I thought were just great matches I enjoyed. I loved PCO versus Walter in, at, at spring break. I mean, I'd been wanting to see Walter live. I'd actually – 
he actually had a match versus Mark Davis that was basically a squash match that was in progress. But he, I've just never, it was the greatest squash match I've ever seen. And um, and then he went on and fought Timothy Thatcher, and I can't stand Timothy Thatcher. It's just not my style of wrestling. But it was, but Walter versus him was incredible. And I was like, I need to see this guy live. And then and it was against PCO, man. That's when PCO, you know, that that's what made PCO was that match. Um, also, like, um, um, I like Cody versus Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. I thought that was Cody's best match he's ever worked. And um, back in all Japan, I saw a guy named Joe During versus Zeus. I love that match a lot, and I like Joe During a lot. He's kind of just like Stan Hansen. He's just like a throwback, tough guy, tough wrestler. I loved Ricochet and Adam Cole a lot. And um, I also really – I really like that Young Bucks versus Rapungi 3K match where Matt Jackson did the, um, the back sell job a lot. Yeah, I remember that match. Yeah. Yeah, he's he underrated sold that back all year, which was very impressive. And you know, and that Osprey versus Riddle match in Scrapper Mania was a really good match too. Where was um when Heyman fought Ibushi, was that Supercard of Honor? That was I have that on my list as one of my favorite matches. Yeah, that was one of my I don't know if it's one of the best matches of the year, but that was one of my favorite matches of the year. And none of those matches I, I just listed, I, I think, the <coughs> best match. But they, I really enjoyed those matches. They all had something yeah. different about them. Yeah, and before we wrap this up, I will add that the uh, Walter PCO match <laughs> that we were at live was just blew me away watching that. Knowing PCO was in his 50s or close to 50 at the time and, and what he, like his career has been, and then watching him against Walter and Walter just chewing him up, and PCO doing that moonsault, it was just freaking incredible to watch live. Okay, so next is Best Major Wrestling Show. Um, we talked about it a little bit already, but New Japan Dominion, June 9th in Osaka, won with 579 votes, beat out Wrestle Kingdom with 290, and TakeOver New Orleans with 164. All In came in fourth, which is interesting. We can talk about, but um, as far as Dominion, um, it might be one of the greatest shows of all time, really. It, it had, of course, a seven-star Omega Okada match we talked about. It had a four-and-a-half-star Jericho versus Nito match. It had a four-and-three-quarter-star uh, Hiromo versus Osprey match for the junior title. It had a four-and-a-half-star Young Bucks versus Evil and Sonata tag team title match. All those With those four classics, it also had a six-man tag that was interesting. Cody, Adam Page, and Marty Scroll versus... Jushin Thunder Liger, Rey Mysterio, and Tanahashi. Elgin won the never title in a three-way match. Of the six title matches, five titles changed hands. Sho and Yo were the only ones who retained their titles. They won the junior tag titles. Um, Dominion on Wrestling Observer received a 99.8% approval rating with 991 votes for thumbs up, one vote for in the middle, and one vote for thumbs down. I don't know who that guy was. Um, Omega Okada overwhelmingly was voted best match and Juice and Finley versus Yoshihashi and Jay White was voted as the worst match who was who was voted the worst match Juice and Finley versus who Yoshihashi and Jay White I mean I can I mean I can see why that would be the worst match 
yeah. But overall, I mean, four classics. What I mean, an unbelievable card. I mean that that's the it's hands down the um it's hands down the show of the year. I'll be almost it's it it just the Omega Okada match would almost make a show of the year, and then that Jericho Nato match was incre- I mean Jericho Nato was incredible, and then the Hiromu Takahashi versus <coughs> Austin was incredible. In the Bucks debut on I mean that that match versus Austin Gobernable's De Hapon was incredible as well. I mean those are just fantastic matches. Yeah, like you said, just okay the Okada Omega almost that's makes three, that show of the year. That's three good that's that was three like incredible matches in one too. Yeah, um second place Wrestle Kingdom of course had Omega Jericho um it had uh Naito Okada right and then yeah. um um Tanahashi and uh Abushi no it was Tanahashi and Jay White oh yeah yeah my bad cuz they did the, the this year's Wrestle Kingdom they did the same people just different matches yeah, um, i got the i got the card right here okay go ahead all right it had um it had Okada defeating Naito it had Omega defeating Jericho. It had Skrull defeating Hiromu, Osprey, and Kushida for the junior title. It had Goto defeating Minoru Suzuki in a hair-for-hair hair match, I think. And they had Cody defeating Abushi. They had Rapungi 3K defeating the Young Bucks for the junior titles. They had KES, um, Killer Elite Squad, defeating Los Ingobernables in- de Japon. And then they had Tanahashi versus Jay White. Yeah, it was a phenomenal show as well. And um, TakeOver New Orleans had Ciampa, Gargano, and the ladder match, I believe. Um, And All In, um, I don't know how it came off on TV, but we were there live, and it's maybe the most fun I've ever had at a wrestling show. Um, So how did you have these listed in your your top five or four? Well... I had Dominion, Wrestle Kingdom, and All In as the three best shows of the year. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts? As, I mean, we were at All In and we had a lot of fun. What, what are your thoughts on that? As like, let's say you didn't go and you were just watching it on TV. I think it still would have been my number three show. I watched it on TV too. Okay. Know, as well, and I mean, it had a lot of. I mean, there was there was nothing bad on that, and some of the matches were better to watch on TV, like the MJF versus Matt Cross match. It came across better on TV, I thought. Yeah, and like I said, as someone who watches Being the Elite and kept up with everything going on in Being the Elite with for months at a time leading up to that, to see the payoffs at that show, even though it's it wasn't a company, it was a one-time show, you, you saw payoffs in every match. Every single story they told had payoff in that thing. Yeah, and and you got to see the the um, the Undertaker spoof the Dick thing. Joey Ryan came back; that was awesome. Um, the Page Janela match was incredible. Yeah, the the Penta um, Omega match was awesome with Jericho coming out, and there, it was just a lot of fun. It was a really really good show. The Cody Nick Aldis match was oh. an under underrated match. That was that, incredible. The story that was told during that match. And with Cody winning and the history with that belt, 
It was in the intros with all of them having like their five favorite people bring them out. It was an awesome, awesome show. That was my favorite match of the show. And, yeah. you know, also you got to talk about the Briscoes versus SoCal Uncensored was a great opener. And that Battle Royale, the over-the-budget Battle Royale, I mean, that was the best book Battle Royale I've ever seen. Battle Royales are terrible normally. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? It's a Battle Royal. Are you fancy? Yes, I'm from the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, anything else you want to talk about with shows of the year? I like Spring Break a lot. Yeah, Spring Break, If I mean, if you're going to WrestleMania weekend, you really need to try to go to these Spring Break shows, man. They are a lot of fun. I know they're late at night. You may have had a busy day, but they are a lot of fun live. Um, okay, so next is Feud of the Year. Um, I don't think anyone was close. Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa won. Um, I don't even think it's a debate. Um, this feud actually started in May of 2017 when Ciampa turned on Gargano to take over Chicago. Um, Ciampa was out with an injury, but he returned to take over Philly and attacked Gargano after that incredible match with Almas. It would lead to them having three unbelievable matches, one five-star and two four-and-a-half stars. The feud is actually built all the way up to them reuniting and was supposed to have a payoff at this takeover coming up, but Ciampa had to have surgery and they can't do the payoff. But I think, I mean, as someone who's watched Tommaso Ciampa for a long time in Ring of Honor and everything else, it brought him to another level. He was a be- one of the best heels of the year, in my opinion. His heel work during that whole thing was incredible. Gargano put on some incredible matches. It really brought them both to a new level. Oh, I've, absolutely, man. That was, I mean, that might not even be few of the year. That might be the feud of the decade. It's the best feud in WWE in a long time. Um, you know, one thing that might get consideration and I'm not certain of this, is the Walter versus Jordan Devlin um, feud in OTT. I bet a lot of OTT fans um, would say that would be pretty close, especially if you see any of those video packages. Do you have watching those video packages that, like, that Blake sent? No. They are incredible. Yeah, it, it got 10th on this list. Um, what are your thoughts on the um... – it got seventh on here, but the, the Tanahashi Omega feud with the payoff of their um, Wrestle Kingdom match this year, um, where would you rate that? That, you know, that was great, but, you know, it was kind of played out more. So I don't think people know about that. I think only the Japanese audience would know about that because that played out more in the newspapers and things like that. And I don't know if the American fans were really aware of that feud. Yeah, it was something for me personally that I didn't even realize how great it was until I watched like some videos leading up to Wrestle Kingdom this year. And I put it all together that they've been building this for like a year, basically. I mean, that's the brilliance of Gato, but. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah. Can you explain that feud for the listeners? So basically at the beginning of the year, Tanahashi was like down. He was, he wasn't really at the top of the card. 
Um, people were talking about how he's kind of because he's older. He's he's been hurt. Maybe he's like headed towards like being being a dad, a New Japan dad. Yeah. Um, maybe he's you know done, and then um, Omega. He's losing every match. Right, and Omega had won the IWGP title. He was on top of the world, um, getting super popular, and. Basically, Tom Hachi was coming out and saying, you know, I don't like where New Japan is headed. I don't like this new style. I don't like what Omega's doing. And so Omega healed it up and was like, you know, Tanahashi, your time's over. It's time for our uh, us young guys like me and Ibushi. And, you know, you're, you don't relate anymore with what's going on. So they built it as that, leading to their Wrestle Kingdom match where, even during the match, there were spots that told that story. Um, the big one being Tanahashi complaining about Omega's wrestling style, but having to wrestle that style to try to beat Omega. And, well, then, and then the big spot of him um, putting Omega on the table and Omega moving and Tanahashi crashing through the table. And so him kind of turning to the dark side and then it working against him. I mean, there's just little stuff like that that was incredible. That wasn't, but even in that match too. To add to that, Omega was having to turn to using the 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 moves of the of the great New Japan wrestlers of the past. So he yeah. was pulling out moves of of the past while while Tanahashi was was pulling out moves of that were that were current moves. And like going through the table, that was something that's the table thing. Something Kenny Omega has added to New Japan. Those aren't used in right. So even as they're wrestling each other in the middle of this match, they're both kind of realizing how great each other's style is. Like they've been talking all this shit about each other, but in the match, having to fight each other, they realize why you have to use and do these things. It's just little details that are incredible that contributed to a year long story that you just, I mean, Storytelling wise, it, it it blew me away. You might have to put that number two after after thinking about it. Yeah, I agree because it, it, like I said, once I realized what was going on, and I didn't realize it until Wrestle Kingdom was coming up, but it was it blew me away how good that story was. Um, I mean, there's a UFC one on here, but I don't know anything about Laparka Roosh, but I guess I know a little bit. bit. Okay, go ahead. I know that was definitely the few of year in Mexico, and I know it drew a lot of money, which you would have to consider because of all these feuds on this list. I guarantee the L.A. Park versus Roosh feud drew the most money on the feud alone. Well, didn't – I thought I heard a story that they were supposed to have a hair versus mask match at maybe uh, – Triple A Mania or something like that, but and then Laparka backed out at the last minute. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I know that Lepark, LA Park, Laparka was was supposed to main event the WrestleMania of CMLL, and then Triple Mania, which is the WrestleMania of Trip, or I mean Triple Mania, which is a WrestleMania of Triple A. And I don't know the stories, but I do know he didn't. He ended up backing out. So. You know that that triple A mania that that has that might be the worst that really might be the worst um, show of the year. I mean, there's some interesting things that happen in triple A. Yeah, but um, um, 
Yeah, another interesting thing about this list is Omega is on here three times with three what? different people for feuds of the year. That's just crazy. So he had five top matches with five different people, and he has three feuds with three different people. I mean, he just – God, he's another level of wrestler. Well, what about the Jericho versus Naito? That was pretty good too, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I thought Jericho did real well. I think I thought Jericho overall really reinvented himself in 2018. Yeah. And um, was really impressive. So the um, the best of interviews, the Daniel Bryan, Becky Lynch, and Samoa Joe, I saw some of the stuff they did. I didn't watch WWE much, but I can tell you that when I did watch it, it was because – I was hearing these three people were doing good things and I would go back and watch some of their promos and I did enjoy some of their promos. I'm not going to argue with any of those, but I would like to say who I enjoyed a lot this year were Nick Aldis, Jay Briscoe as, and that's every year. And then Chris Jericho. Um, Do you want, do you want me to keep on going down through each one? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'll just say on interviews real quick. Um, I don't agree with Daniel Bryan. I'm not the biggest Daniel Bryan fan. I know Blake, Blake got really mad at me and Jamie talking shit about Daniel Bryan, but he's just somebody I don't relate to. And I, I don't think he has any charisma at all. So I don't agree with that. Um, I agree that I thought Chris Jericho had a phenomenal year with promos. And um, I love I loved Jay Briscoe as well. Um, I thought um, – there's guys in in Japan and Mexico who cut unbelievable promos that we we can't really grasp how great they are because we don't speak the language. Um, Naito is an example. Tanahashi, Roosh. There's guys with a lot of charisma from other countries, but um, yeah, United States, Japan, Mexico, Europe. I agree with all these. You can make a case for Omega for United States as well, um, but. Walter in Europe, by far, he was the best wrestler in Europe. L.A. Park, I'm not familiar with Mexico wrestling, but according to Meltzer, L.A. Park in Mexico was like Hogan in the 80s in 2018. So I guess you have to give it to him. So all those MVPs, what are your thoughts? The MVPs go, I think I think the U.S. MVP is the hardest one, is, is the most debatable one. A.J. Styles won it, but I do think, like you said, with what Kenny Omega did, you know, in the U.S. and how he, what he did for All In, what he did for Madison Square Garden, the, the all the different New Japan things and how much they drew, you would have to consider him. I don't know if he wrestled enough to to where he could win, but man, it's you could definitely argue. I would also say the Young Bucks would be a likely person as well, and then Rousey. I think Rousey's somebody who really, as far as MVP goes, I. I like, I don't know if they would have got that Fox deal without her. You know, she's a superstar. She might not be the best wrestler in the world, but she definitely, I think, made them money this year. I would say she made more money for WWE than anybody as a wrestler. I would say she's a big part of that new TV deal they got, for sure. So, it's almost like because of that and how much money it did, <coughs> if you if you pull her out, she might be the most valuable person in the U.S. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Japan, who won Japan? Omega, you said? Yeah. I picked Tanahashi and I picked Okada two and I picked Omega three, and um and I picked Naito four and I picked Kento Miyahara five and Obushi six, 
And I also want to make um, – and I also after that I put Tomohiro Ishii. We haven't said much about him, but he's had a phenomenal year. And he's he's almost like the Dolph Ziggler of New Japan who's always just putting on um, – and I'm talking about more Dolph Ziggler like three or four years ago where he's always putting on great matches, but he's he's never elevated. Yeah, he's also having a phenomenal 2019 so far as well. Yep. And with the Walter Europe, he was he was by far the best um, wrestler in Europe. He main evented – he was all over the place from WXW, Progress, OTT, PWG, RPW, Defiant, all those places. And um, – Actually, is Defiant is Defiant over there? No, I think Defiant's in Seattle. Okay, all right. So, well, he was all over Europe and main bidding everywhere. And I do think um, the other person I would consider would be Pete Dunne because he was still, you know, he was still doing stuff in WXW in progress, and he was the face of the W the NXT UK launch. Yeah, without Pete Dunne, I don't think you have a NXT UK show right now. No, I mean he's he's the face of that for sure. He yeah. had a good wrestling year as well, but a lot of it was done in progress in WXW, in WXW so people didn't see it. Yeah. Um, Non-heavyweight MVP, Osprey. Um, he's a heavyweight now, but he's um, – I've heard people – well, I mean, this would be really interesting award if Hiromo didn't hurt his neck, but um, Will Osprey wins. What do you think? I mean, yeah. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely number one in the non heavyweight um, division. He won't be there next year. But Hiromu, like a lot of people said, he got hurt halfway through the year, and he was probably having the better year. I mean, and he's just you, every match you see Hiromu in, you think he might kill himself. He ended up breaking his neck, and you know, people told him he needs to slow down. But it'll be interesting to see if he if and when he comes back if he's going to have to wrestle a different style. Do you think with how great the New Japan Junior Division is, it's hard to consider somebody like Buddy Murphy? I mean, Buddy. I mean, you know, before, uh, honestly, bef- I would before to, if I wouldn't have looked at today, I think Buddy Murphy's right up there. I yeah, mean, I mean, I mean, there's just so many if, good junior wrestlers in Japan and Mexico, and all right. If you're saying MVP, if we're talking about just outstanding wrestling, Buddy Murphy's there, but Buddy Murphy is not drawing any money for WWE. So, right. so if if you were talking about just MVP, then nobody's paying to see Buddy Murphy, unfortunately, right now. So that's where you could say that that he is not an MVP candidate. Okay, women's MVP Becky Lynch controversy here. A lot of people thought Ronda Rousey should have won. Um, I mean. I mean, MVP. I don't know how you can argue against Rousey if we're talking about if you if if what would happen if she wasn't there now. And I don't know if Becky Lynch and Charlotte would be in the spot they wore without Ronda Rousey. And I would also put Charlotte in there because I think Charlotte probably had the best year for for in ring than any of them. Yeah, I agree. And they're definitely not headlining WrestleMania without Rousey. No, there's no way. So they so they got that. So I mean. I just don't know. I, I don't see how you can it, it with when you're saying most valuable player or most valuable wrestler, she's the most valuable person on that in WWE. Yeah, most improved Hangman Page. Um, definitely hard to argue that, but there, I mean, there's definitely other guys who really, really improved this year, including Jay White, including uh, which you know Jay White's kind of new, but he had a great year. 
Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'm looking down at the list. Who was all on the list? Oh, I don't have the full list in front of me, but um... okay. Um, it was Hangman. Hangman definitely came in his own this year. I mean, I, I you can't you can't go wrong with voting him for sure. Um, most charismatic Nate, Um, kind of hard to it de- depends how you consider charisma and what you watch, but um, Nito is definitely a driven charisma. Yeah, I mean, you know, he Naito, he's just oozing with charisma, and um, you just see it when he walks out. He doesn't have to say anything. The way he wrestles, it's all just charisma based. And you know, the guy, the fans are he, he's probably the most popular wrestler in Japan. He's a guy just on charisma alone. He does not need a title to main event and headline a show, which is really important in Japan because they got a guy who doesn't need a title that they can still put on top of a card and sell tickets, which is yeah. great because, you know, the, the, the title is just a prop. And to have somebody with that drawing power not needing that title is, is fantastic for them. Yeah, best technical wrestler is Zach Sabre Jr., best brawler, Ishii, best flying wrestler, Will Ospreay. Hard to argue any of those. Zach Sabre Jr., far and away the best technical wrestler. And um, I heard Kenny Omega say in an interview, Ricochet may be the best flyer, but Will Ospreay is the best flying wrestler. And and that's the absolute truth. I mean, Ospreay, it's between Ospreay and Ricochet, Ricochet is the most athletic um, wrestler in wrestling. But Osprey's right behind him, just a hair less athletic than him. But he is a better wrestler than Ricochet, and Ricochet is a really good wrestler. Um, most underrated Finn Balor, most overrated Baron Corbin. My personal opinion: the most overrated wrestler is Braun Strowman, and the most underrated wrestler. Might have to think about. It. Let me get, hear your thoughts. For most overrated wrestler. For both overrated and underrated, All right, I can get the underrated right now. I see that I put underrated as Buddy Murphy. I mean, and I did not have him on my list before. I know we recorded this in the past, and we're not going to use it. But man, he had a killer year. You know, he had nine four star matches and above. That is fantastic, and nobody watches him. Um, I also well, I want to I want to point out Kenta Miyahara. He is just—he's not as good as Omega and Ibushi, but he's—he's he's a tier below them, and he's still in his twenties. He's the guy, the future for Japan, and nobody sees him because he's all Japan, and they don't jump ship like they do in America. So he'll probably stay in all Japan forever. And I also really enjoy the work of Lance Archer. I think Lance Archer is a, is a solid worker, but he's also got a lot of size to him. And he does a he's a, and he does great tag work with Davy Boy Smith Jr. And when he does singles matches, he does a great he does a great job with um, smaller guys with a classic David and Goliath match. Yeah, and Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes too, on opponent Cody Rhodes too. He had a great year in ring, better than what people say. People say Cody's an average wrestler, but he had several matches that were around were four star or better. Yeah, I would say um, um, for most overrated, for sure, Braun Strowman. Um, I just don't – there's just not a lot there in my opinion. And, and they're building him as one of the top guys. Um, most underrated, 
just off the top of my head, I, I think people like I, I agree with Cody. Cody was my favorite singles wrestler last year. I loved watching Cody and um, uh, Aishi in New Japan. Like you said, is somebody who always has great matches, but it's just overshadowed by all the great performers over there. Yeah, and um, rookie of the year, Ronda Rousey, hard to argue. You, you can't based off of having no experience and you know, she has to practice her matches all the time, but she's done a good job with what they've asked her to do. And and, and she's not doing it in front of a hundred people or on or on the, the Largo loop for NXT in Florida. She's doing it at WrestleMania, she's doing it at SummerSlam on the biggest stage of all. Yeah, best non wrestler Paul Heyman, he's gonna be hard to beat as long as he's doing it. Um, but I know you're a big fan of Leo Rush. <laughs> um I don't know anything about what Leo Rush is doing. Is he actually a non-wrestler now? I thought he was a... Yeah, he, no, he's Bobby Lashley's manager. He's Bob, Well, I knew he was Bobby Lashley, so he doesn't wrestle at all? Um, sometimes he'll be in there, like a handicap match or something, but I don't think he really does 205 Live anymore, but I don't watch it, so... It's hard It's hard to... It's hard, I mean, you can't argue against Heyman. Can I count Can I count Don Callis as a, as a, a non-wrestler? I know he's an announcer, too, but, man, he does some... You know that stuff he did in the um, the Jericho Omega press conference was pretty dang funny, and how he was wearing that neck brace after it, and um, and a lot of the like minor Suzuki scared to death of him. He'll he'll squeal like a little girl when he comes near him. Yeah, I would like to mention um, Serena De La Renta from MLW. She's phenomenal. Not a lot of people get to watch her, um, but yeah, Heyman's going to be win this award every time. Um, best TV announcer, Kevin Kelly. Worst TV announcer, Jonathan Coachman. I disagree with both of these. My favorite announcer of the year was Don Callis. I thought Don Callis was phenomenal. Um, Kevin Kelly does great work, but Don Callis, really, I really enjoy hearing him on a show. Um, I think um, Nick Aldis is really good as well. And for worst TV announcer, I get that WWE is really, really bad, but it's hard to blame one of any of those guys because they're getting told what to say word for word. My vote for worst TV announcer is Mara Ranello. I can't stand him. Okay. Best television announcer is Don Callis. I mean, I agree with that. He, I mean, he makes, I love Don Callis. And when he first came in, I couldn't stand him at first, but he has came into his own. He did it quickly and he just, enhances that product so much i mean he just enhances it he's a great hill announcer and him and kevin kelly work great it's so fantastic hearing them call matches and they have the advantage of getting to call the best matches in the world and you know i want to also point out i think colt cabana does a solid job in eon riccoboni and nick aldis like you said I, i like all of them as well yeah what about worst um worst I mean, you know, it's when you go and look at all these. It's it's the I mean it's it's the it's the micromanagement of WWE and having to do all the buzzwords and you know having to say um, lunatic fringe every single time you you mentioned Dean Ambrose and having to um, I guess advertise for like the the network and things like that. It's just it's just um, terrible. They always have to do a three person booth. Um, 
which I prefer a two-person booth. So I think I think somebody always is kind of left out. Like when they do a three-person booth, you know, you would have the, um, you know, like a Percy Watson sometimes gets left out. Brian Saxon for sure does. Um, and, you know, I don't really enjoy Matt Stryker. And um, Jim Ross, I think I, I enjoy listening to Jim Ross, but he can't call the way he did before. But I still like to hear him. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, Vampire. Vampiro might really be the worst one because I heard <laughs> I, I heard he I heard he farted at Triple Mania. I heard he farted and it came through the. <laughs> yeah, I watched that video actually. That that did legit happen. Um, you know who else is terrible? I mean, I, I'm sticking with my Ranello because I I mean he gets on my nerves so bad. But Josh Matthews and Impact is also really terrible. Um. What is what house callus house callus in impact? Um, I haven't been able to um see a lot because I think he just started, but um, he's not as good in as he is in Japan. But I feel like you know when he's at impact, his mind's in other places. Yeah, if that makes sense because he's running it. Yeah, so it's not as good, but it's still good. Still good. Josh Matthews brings him down. I hate Josh Matthews. Yeah, I don't like Josh Matthews either. He he think like he just seems cocky to me. Yeah. Uh, worst major wrestling show, Crown Jewel from Saudi Arabia. This, of course, probably got voted because of the controversy. But when you look at that Triple H and Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker and Kane botch fest for thirty minutes, um, you can see why. But I'm sure there was worse shows out there. Yeah, I think Triple A Triple Mania might be one. Yeah, I think Evolution might be one. I can't imagine watching an all women's pay per view. Well, that, that was voted in the top the the best major wrestling shows. I don't know by who. <laughs> um, best maneuver one winged angel. Um, hard to argue. That's pretty awesome. Um, Jamie also voted for uh, Okada's drop kick, the Rainmaker. <laughs> Oh, man, he's going to kill you. <laughs> okay, and that leaves just the worst TV show, which was WWE Raw. If you sit down and try to watch a Raw, and I'm not talking about fast-forwarding and only watching shit you like and then saying that it was the best show ever like Ben Harris does. I'm talking about sitting down and watching three hours of Raw. You will agree that it is the worst show on TV. No, and not just wrestling. You're talking about the worst show in all of TV, right? Yeah, I'm talking about the worst show I've ever seen. Well, I mean, it's it's not wrestling focused, and it's all storyline based. But the stories don't go anywhere; they'll drop them. They, they, I've never seen a storyline play out. Not only seen. that, but a three-hour show, even if it's something I really enjoyed, three hours a week is really hard to enjoy on a on a regular basis, and they overdo redundancy as is. It's it's the same things every week. And it's just terrible. Do you do you like it when an authority figure comes out to start to start the show, and um, that sets up what the main event that night's going to be? Every promo I've ever watched them do on Raw, they I, I see ten minutes that they could cut out. Yeah, they they sit there and let the crowd react to what they say for about forty five seconds. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm going to get real fired up talking about Raw, but it is god awful. I, I mean. I can't imagine a worse show, but I mean, I know you hate Lucha Underground. Well, I don't hate Lucha Underground. It's just 
I don't I don't watch it. I didn't even know it existed. I, I I thought it was already done, and apparently it's still there. It was on Netflix for a little while. Yeah, I'm sure it still is. You know, when I did watch it, there would sometimes it would be great, and then sometimes it would just be the stupidest thing I ever saw in my life. <laughs> All right, guys, there it is. Um, I know this was a super long show, but uh, we wanted to cover everything. 2018 was a phenomenal year, the best year in wrestling history, in my opinion. I want to thank Andy, who has a busy life raising kids. Um to to do this with us it was i really enjoyed it i know jamie enjoyed the first part so um thanks for coming on man we're gonna have you on again well man i really appreciate being on man it was a i I had a great time i'm glad um we got to to talk for a bit i wish jamie could have been on tonight that would have made it a you know just a tad more entertaining i would love to hear yeah i feel like this was like I feel like this was straight information and overkill on wrestling stats, whereas Jamie would have added a um, comic relief to the episode. But yeah. uh, what Jamie lacks in knowledge, he makes up for in entertainment. That's for sure. Could you just put in past jokes he's told? Just, just add them in. Well, I'm scared to because I want people to tell you about this episode. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was a lot of fun. Um like I said in the intro, we're doing WrestleMania next week with multiple people. Maybe Andy Ball will come back for that. And check us out on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of our sites. Jamie's doing a Facebook page eventually. Yeah, that's it, man. We'll see you next time.